Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 20. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am extremely excited to introduce my guest today, Michael T. Lynch. Michael, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. All right. It's great to have you here. Michael Lynch is a consultant, an author, historian, researcher, and photographer. He is a full journalist member of both the Motor Press Guild and the American Automobile Racing Writers and Broadcasters Association. His writing has appeared in journals worldwide, and if you're a reader of any automobile magazine, you've probably read one of Michael's articles. He's also noted for writing some of the world's most prestigious Concorde et Elegance programs. The list of, of awards for his writing skills is long and prestigious. His clients include collectors, special events, museums, and universities. And Michael is the vice chairman of the Art of the Car Concorde, a researcher at the REVS program at Stanford University, and a member of the Racing Car Certifications Committee of the Antique Car Club of America. So, Michael, I've told our listeners a little about you, so take some time and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and your passion for automobiles. Well, it's funny. People often ask me, how did you go down this road? And uh, it's... (laughs) Uh, although I'm not sure how relevant it is. But when I was about uh, five or six years old, it was during the World War II, and uh, there was a radio show at the time called Duffy's Tavern, which was kind of a cheers of the radio. And then down the street from our house, there was a tavern, which was not named Duffy's, but that's what they called it. And in those days, of course, there was no you know, question about kids being in bars or anything like that. So I'd go down with my father, and we'd be sitting at the bar. I'd have a Shirley Temple. He'd be having a beer. And the guy, uh, you know, next to him, the old man would say, uh, hey, listen, I'll bet you a beer that the kid can name the first six cars that go by out front. (laughs) And so we'd walk out on the street, and sure enough, I'd name them. And the thing that gets me about this is I, I think back, and I remember clearly one guy said to me, how the hell do you do that? And I said, well, I look at the hubcaps. Well, Mark, if you think about this, the hubcaps are spinning. I'm six years old. How did I do it? And I don't know the answer. So I guess it speaks to a lifelong interest in automobiles. I think it does. And I remember when I was a child at night, my parents sometimes would be surprised when I could tell them what kind of car it was based on the headlights. (laughs) Similar type thing. It was usually a combination of those headlights and the parking lights. That's a wonderful story and a nice way for your father to get a free beer once in a while, too. So (laughs) you were were his trick monkey in some some respects. Yeah, exactly. Well, take us up through past that time and tell us a a little bit more about how your life progressed with automobiles. Well, I, uh, you know, I was always interested and uh, my parents indulged me. My father got a new Chevy with a power pack, and I think he wanted a road trip, so he took me for, I mean, I had already been to the races. Uh, My dad, actually, uh, Curtis LeMay, who ran the Strategic Air Command, was a client, 
And so we got to go to some strategic air command races. As you know, they were held in the 50s. After the road circuits were harder to get, the uh, SCCA held races on strategic air command bases. And it really kind of made sports car racing in America because the strategic air command, obviously, in many communities was the leading employer and they had a fabulous PR machine. So these races would uh, turn out people uh, in crowds the size of the Indianapolis 500. Oh, my gosh. So I had been to a, been to a couple of those, and then in 56, my father uh, took me on this road trip to Sebring in his new Chevy. And um, it was just incredible because when we drove into town, we're driving down the main drag in Sebring. Coming the other way was uh, Piero Taruffi in a, a works uh, Maserati. Oh, my gosh. So it was, it, it, it was if the pages of Road and Track had come to life. So uh, from then on, it just it got worse. I had a group of friends from Kansas City where I grew up, and we would go to Sebring every year. We went for about 15 years until mortgages and private school tuitions and things like that caught up with us. But... Uh, it was a fabulous time, and uh, I did everything from I did a little racing. I also uh, I also acted as a race car mechanic, and uh, you know towed cars all over the country. And it was just cars, 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 mostly sports cars. I was kind of a snob. I had been interested in hot rods uh, earlier when I was in high school in Cleveland. I had not moved to Kansas City until my junior year. Uh, but once I got into the sports car thing, which happened in Cleveland, a guy gave me a ride in an MG TD, and that was about the end of it. And uh, when I was in junior high, there was a guy who lived near my junior high school who had a Ferrari that would drive home from his business for lunch every day. And I would, uh, you weren't supposed to leave the campus, but I would go over there to look at the car pretty much every day. So it's just <laughs> been one of those deals, what can I tell you? And as time progressed, uh, when I got to college, I had friends all over the country, and uh, it really kind of engendered a thing in me that I've had ever, ever since, which was I realized how lucky I've been with automobiles. And I was getting to go to all the, while I was in school and college, I was getting to go to all the SCCA nationals in the East. So I started a newsletter that I would send to all my friends in the Midwest and the ones who'd gone to school on the West Coast. So that kind of started a writing thing, and uh, later uh, I began writing, as most people do, for a club magazine, Ferrari Club magazine in this case, and uh, I actually won an award right off the bat for a piece I published in Prancing Horse, which is the the magazine of the Ferrari Club of America. Mm -hmm. So from then on, although I had a career in the financial services industry, I basically kept it up and got into the magazines and got to the point where one year Road and Track always used to have a feature called um, uh, The Salon, and it was a photo essay on a car. And one year I did about uh, 25% of those for the magazine. So I kept writing for the magazines, and then um, I kind of was getting along in years. And financial services business is sometimes a young man's business, and so... Uh, I finished a work project and started talking to people about, you know, what I was going to do next. And my gigantic ego told me that uh, I wasn't going to be able to command the kind of uh, salary that I thought I was worth. So I decided that something I'd always done was, uh, by this time it was the 90s maybe, 
I decided I wanted to write a book about racing in the 50s that had inspired me so much. So I did that, uh, and uh, it actually won uh, a Dean Bachelor Award, which is the highest award awarded by the uh, Motor Press Guild. So then I was an expert, <laughs> <laughs> and I began to do research and writing for you know, several magazines and uh, began to consult. This was when prices were starting to really move and began to consult with um, collectors uh, over things like provenance uh, review and things like that. So it just kind of grew from there and uh, began to consult on event planning and class structure and all kinds of different things and working with different concor in different roles, sometimes the program, sometimes announcing, sometimes uh, organization. And uh, so that's kind of how it uh, got to where it is today. A great story about taking your passion around something, even though your professional career for so long was in finance, and just not playing with it, but dabbling it in or continuing to work in it, and it eventually evolved into a whole other career path for you later in life, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm 75 now, and I've still got plenty to do every day. I worry about some of my friends that are you know, still out for the martini lunch and things like that because, uh, you know, I'm worried about Alzheimer's like anybody my age, and I figure I learn something new about cars every day, and uh, I figure it's a good way to keep your brain working, and uh, I don't know what else I'd do. I mean, I just couldn't sit around all day. Well, wonderful advice for everybody, even young people. Don't sit around. Exactly. Get involved in your passion in any way you can, like like you did, Michael, and uh, you never know where it might lead to, so... That's a wonderful, inspiring story, and I appreciate you sharing with us. I always like to start Karzia off with a success quote, a saying that's been instrumental in forming your success, perhaps. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning, those hubcaps you used to spy on turning here at Karzia. So take the wheel, Michael. Well, I think that, you know, as I say, I have been very lucky with cars. My wife, Vicki, and I have been invited to places that, uh, you know, as a high school kid in Kansas City, I never dreamed I would, including the Palace at Monte Carlo and places like that. And so cars have been very good to me in terms of just social connections and, you know, getting to see things that I never dreamed I would see. And uh, so it's a matter at this age, you start thinking, how can I give back a little? And uh, I recently accepted a job here as the vice chairman of the Art of the Car Concour, which was held last weekend. And uh, it is held on the campus of the uh, uh, Kansas City Art Institute. And uh, it's a fabulous show. We, this year, uh, the focus was on hot rods, and we had hot rod luminaries such as Pete Chikoris, the proprietor of the SoCal Speed Shop, and Ken Gross, who is an author and museum consultant who's written some books on hot rods. And On Saturday, we had a seminar about the history of hot rods, which ran on for about an hour and 43 minutes, including the Q&A, so I guess people were interested. And uh, then Sunday was the show. We had over 200 cars. Uh, it's an interesting show. Each show has to kind of create its own atmosphere. Pebble Beach certainly has theirs. And uh, during Pebble Beach week, the quail has theirs. They're quite different. Ours is very different. We have no classes. The cars are put on the field in a random manner. We have no judges. All the awards are given by either committees or the public or people from the Art Institute, etc. So it's a great event. And I, I you talk about a success. Uh, I believe we're going, well, I'm sure we're going to be able to contribute over uh, 
into six figures uh, to the Kansas City Art Institute Scholarship Fund. So wow. the successes continue, and uh, I'm very pleased about that. Does it take place the same about the same time every year? It does. The, the weekend has been chosen. It's just coincidental. It's the longest day of the year. As you know, Le Mans is always set up that way. Uh, but our choice was because it's the day of the year with the least chance of rain. Fortunately, that sometimes brings rather oppressive heat with it, but we would prefer the heat to the rain. So. I assume there's a website that people can go to to find out more. There about is. That. It's simply uh, artofthecarsconcour.com. All right, we'll make sure we post that on your show notes page at carsyad.com so people can look that up and put it on their calendar for next year. Terrific. I hope to be there. Could you share a story with us, Michael, that instigated your passion for cars, that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Somehow, it just was always something that interested me. I can remember clearly things in my life like I was walking home from, I don't know, junior high one day, and I saw an XK120 on the street. And I had never seen anything like that. I mean, it just blew my mind. And I must have stayed there for an hour walking around the car. Unfortunately, the hood was up, but I peered in the side curtains and, you know, and but just checked everything out. And it was just, I mean, the way the gearbox, you know, lever came out, the way the steering wheel had the big hub on it, the way the seats were so low. Just everything about it spoke to me. I don't know why. So <laughs> it's just things like that. That, uh, And then the first time I saw a Ferrari, of course, was this guy down the street from school. and Just things like that that, uh, that always, you know, stuck with me. Well, I think for most of us car people, those pivotal moments as a child really mean something to us. When the old man took me to the... Uh, SCCA National at Lockbourne Air Force Base in Columbus, Ohio in 54. That was a real eye-opener. They had a, a straightaway that was almost a mile long. Mm. Bill Spear and Jim Kimberly were there with their big 4.1-liter Ferraris. And, I mean, when they wound them up, it was just, I mean, I had already read in the magazines. It was the sound of ripping canvas and everything. But uh, it was just beyond belief, it really was for me. Magical times, for sure. Yes. So, Michael, what I want to do now is is take a look at the roads you've driven down and and really crawl under the hood and maybe get our hands a little dirty. Would would you share with us a a huge challenge, maybe even a big failure in your life or your career that really pushed you to a breaking point? But more importantly, how you overcame that situation and what happened as you came out of that? Well, as I said earlier, I mean, I think my not exactly breaking point. I mean, it was not exactly either an inspirational point was when I just couldn't find something in the financial services business that I thought was worthy of my talents. And as I say, that probably had more to do with my giant ego than reality. But (laughs) uh, I managed, as I say, to turn that into a prize-winning book. Uh, So that was kind of a, a wonderful transition. And then that began, you know, the road to full-time car stuff and uh, never looked back. Sounds like you made a monumental pivot towards your passion. Well, it's true. I mean, you know, it's a, certainly a luxury I've had late in my life, and uh, it's just been uh, really fun. And, uh, you know, messing around with cars, raising some money for charity, I mean, what's not to like? It's just really cool. Well, it's an inspiration when you can play with cars when you're a little boy and grow up and play with cars when you're a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful life, absolutely. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And if you could share a story with of an aha moment 
in your career, that time when you realized that an idea or concept was really going to make it, and perhaps it was that book, tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a career success. Well, I mean, I think that one thing that uh, was a pivotal moment in a nonlinear career path was uh, when I was a student at Harvard Business School, uh, Mark McCormick, uh, I don't know if you know who he is, he is the guy who basically invented modern sports management. People and a lot of people in America are not that familiar with him, although his first three clients were Palmer Player and Nicholas. Wow. Uh, because he was a golfer himself, in fact, finished second to Arnold in the U.S. Amateur one year. But Mark had a management business, uh, sports management business in Cleveland, and he had he remarked he came to Harvard Business School to lecture on entrepreneurship, and he he allowed uh, that uh, he would uh, he had just signed Jackie Stewart as a client, wow. and uh, so uh, when the lecture was over, of course I was up there at the lectern and introduced myself, and I said, well, Mark. Uh, you know, I know quite a few people in motor racing, and uh, are you looking for anybody to help with your new endeavor? Because uh, Jackie was his first motor racing client, although he did have Jean-Claude Keeley, who had done a little bit of racing besides his skiing. And that led to me being hired and setting up uh, Mark's uh, motor racing division. Wow. <laughs> what, a, what a wonderful thing. Sometimes you just have to walk up and ask somebody, right? Well, I mean, it never hurts to, I have sometimes been accused of over-self-promotion, but it never hurts to let people know what you your knowledge is and what you think you can do. Great advice for everybody out there. Let's have a little fun here, Michael, and talk about your first car. I'd like to hear a little bit about what that was, but more importantly, what great memories, adventures, maybe modifications or trips you took in that car you can share with us? Well, the first car was a hand-me-down 53 Chevy Coupe from my father, of course. And, uh, you know, obviously there were trips to the local foreign car dealers. There were trips to the races that were fairly close by. There were all kinds of things like that. I soon wanted to do something a little more interesting to me. And, uh, you know, through various jobs, working at gas stations and whatever, I was able to get an MGT-D. And then I uh, got one of the first uh, Austin Healey 100Ss in Kansas City. Oh, uh, wow. It was used when I got it, but it was a lovely piece. So I was kind of on my road to uh, kind of serial collector of uh, interesting, uh, mostly foreign stuff. Sure. Oh, wonderful. Those are beautiful cars. Love them. Yes. Is there a car in your past that you've sold that you have a serious seller's remorse over and you wish you had it back? Well, obviously, I dealt in used Ferraris for a time, and you know this was back when they were seventy five hundred to twelve grand. And I've owned a Ferrari Tour de France, which is now you know four million dollar car. I've owned a three seventy five millimeter X Briggs Cunningham, which is now a six million dollar. But you know, times you do what you do in the times for reasons, and I, I've never felt I, I'm not kind of. I, I, I mean, I'm very concerned with history, but I'm not the kind of guy that looks backward. And I don't even have a collector car now, partially because I've lived in San Francisco for until we moved here in January for the last uh, many years. And, you know, a, a dedicated garage space in San Francisco can go for as much as $190,000. So oh, wow. not, a great, not a great place to find space for your collector car. 
No. But uh, I'm probably going to do something uh, here fairly shortly since uh, garage space is not at such a premium. Well, it's it's uh, good to look back just with the fond memories. Ayrton Senna has a great quote, the past is just data. I only see the future. Yeah. yeah. I try to remember that when I think back to cars I let go that I wish I still had. So wonderful to play with those old Ferraris. Oh, wow. Yes, yes. Spectacular. Magic, magic cars. Is there a current project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Oh, yeah. My, I'm working on a biography of uh, Luigi Canetti. Uh, well, actually, the Canetti family and their relationship. Uh, Luigi was at one time the sole American distributor for Ferrari. He also won Le Mans twice before the war in Alphas and then posted Ferrari's greatest international victory to date when he won uh, Le Mans for Ferrari in 1949. He also was the owner of the last Ferrari to win Le Mans in 1965. A fascinating guy, grew up in Italy, left because of the fascists, lived in Paris uh, in the 30s, came to America in uh, 39, excuse me, in 40 for the Indianapolis 500 as a team manager of two Maseratis for a French lady. The war broke out while he was here. He stayed. Uh, after the war, he commuted between New York and Paris, he had a showroom in both, uh, and then finally took American citizenship and uh, stayed here. His son, Luigi Jr., was also a racer, won his class at Le Mans, and designed several very interesting custom Ferraris. And uh, so it's a very interesting story. I think you could make the case, well, I will make the case, that Canetti was probably the best connected person in international motorsport between the mid-30s and the mid-70s. So uh, a lot of people say it's the biggest hole in the Ferrari bookshelf to be filled, and hopefully we'll be filling it in the next year and a half or so. Wonderful. Can't wait for that to come out. Is there a favorite way that you like to spend time in the garage? Is it wrenching, detailing, restoring, or do you just like to get out and drive? Well, I I like to get out and drive. I like to, you know, see people's stuff. I like to chat about stuff with people. And then through my writing and broadcasting, I like to share my knowledge, uh, hopefully bringing, shedding some light on cars, that making them think about cars in ways they hadn't previously. That's kind of, you know, the way I, you know, get off on the deal. Inspiration through the pen or the keyboard. Well, or the, yeah, exactly, or <laughs> just imparting information. As I say, everyone is not lucky enough to be able to do some of the stuff that I get to do, and so I just like to kind of try and bring them along. That's wonderful. So, Michael, this is one of my favorite parts of our talk. I call it the last lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners very quick blips of the throttle answers. So, are you ready? I'm going to participate. Okay. The flag is dropping. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Whoa. Always buy a car that's restored. Let some other guy pay for it. I've heard that one before. (laughs) There's a a trend here, so listen up, listeners. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? Well, try and do, you know, if you've got a big project and it's going to take some time, you know, just make sure you do, even if it's just opening up the page of the project on your computer, do something every day. Mm-hmm. Do something every day. And, uh, and ultimately, you will break it down into into steps that you can do. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> 
Do you have a resource you'd like to share with our listeners, perhaps a website, a supplier, maybe it's a restoration shop or a person? Well, my mentor was Dyke Ridgely, who takes care of Rob Walton's cars. He and his wife have uh, been, you know, huge Ferrari fans for years. Have both written about them. They've both restored them. They're both fabulous wrenches. Uh, they're both super connected in the sport. And uh, uh, Dyke is the guy who taught me how to research accurately, and he also gave me a lot of good advice. What is Dyke's last name again? R-I-D-G-L-E-Y. Is there a book, Michael, that you'd like to share with our listeners that you've perhaps recently read that you really enjoyed? Well, I don't know about recently read, uh, but uh, one of my very favorite car books is uh, a book by Mike Schoen called The uh, Cobra Ferrari Wars. And although Schoen is, was a big Cobra collector, including a Daytona Coupe, he uh, really gives both sides equal space. And he went back and interviewed all the players on both sides uh, during the years when uh, the two years when Cobra was contesting the World Sports Car Championship with Ferrari. Uh, and it's just a fabulous read. I mean, stories like, you know, being late to the track and driving 100 miles an hour uh, on a one-way street the wrong way and just all the crazy stuff that racing people do. Yeah, wonderful pe- wonderful characters. You know, Shelby, what old Shell was the greatest uh, I'm happy to say, a friend of mine. And just, you know, all the mechanics and all the drivers uh, on both sides of the war telling their stories. And uh, more than a Ferrari book, it's more than a Cobra book. It's it's just a look back at a time when, you know, racing was much more sporting and not quite so commercial and, and the guys that pulled it off and how they did it. I like that book as well. Very personable and brings the characters to life. Really pulls you back to that time is just a wonderful read. I'll remind our listeners that you can find all these links and resources at carsyad.com slash Michael T. Lynch at the Cars yeah website. So Michael, now we're at the checkered flag. And this last question can sometimes be a challenge for people. I call it a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, something you couldn't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money was no object, what would it be, and more importantly, why? Well, I oh, it's a that's not a real tough one, but I mean, I think it would be a, a Bugatti Atlantique uh, Type Fifty Seven, uh, simply because it's something you can drive and it's uh, it's a piece of art. I mean, there's little doubt about it. I mean, obviously, rarity comes into it, uh, but just uh, a wonderful, wonderful car. I mean, every inch of it is artwork uh, from the turn metal. Uh, of the engine covers to just the whole thing. That would be it. You would look fabulous in that car. (laughs) I hope it arrives in your garage someday. Well, uh, that goes back a long way. Ken Purdy, many years ago, wrote a book called The Kings of the Road, and uh, this was in the early 50s. And he begins the book by saying, you're in a Bugatti Type 57 on the road from uh, Paris to the Riviera, poplar line going so many miles an hour and everything and it just it always stuck with me he didn't say it was an atlantic but i would like to think it was maybe he left it open to your imagination on purpose exactly like any good writer exactly that's wonderful well michael you've taken us on a great ride today and i've really enjoyed your stories i want to thank you for sharing your journey with us if you would give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that bugatti and let our listeners know what's the best way they can learn more about you, and then we'll say goodbye. 
you can see a lot of my stuff on uh, a website called velocitoday.com. Now, normally it's a subscription service, but I have insisted that all my work is available going back to the beginning. So if you go to the site, bring it up, and you, there will be a subscription thing pop up when you go to any of my stories. Push on the X on the top of the subscription thing, it'll go away, and you can read them. Okay. There are probably okay. 50 pieces on there. Wonderful. And it's, uh, the site specializes in Italian and French cars. Oh, well, that's uh, another reason to go there as well. So, One parting piece of guidance you might give our listeners before you drive off into the sunset? Well, uh, John von Neumann was a friend of mine. He was the Ferrari distributor for California, Arizona, Hawaii, and a great racer and a very interesting guy. Uh, emigrated from Austria just at the beginning of the, before the war started. Uh, and was quite a character, and uh, as I say, was a great racer, a great businessman. Uh, shortly before John died, he spoke to a group called uh, the Fabulous Fifties, which is a group of people who were involved in the sport, either as journalists or mechanics or drivers in the 50s, and then some young people who are interested in that era. And this was a big gathering honoring John at the Peterson Museum in Los Angeles, America's premier automotive museum. And uh, John... Gave, got up and gave his closing remarks, and at the very end, he said, and keep enjoying your cars. <laughs> and that really struck me. I mean, this was a guy who was a lifetime enthusiast. That's a good one. Keep enjoying your cars. Exactly. Well, listeners, you can find everything we talked about here at com slash Michael T. Lynch. Just type Michael in the search bar, and his show notes page will pop up, and a links to everything that we've discussed. Thank you, Michael, for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and sharing your experiences in your life with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Well, I'm flattered to be here and uh, appreciated our time together. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!